I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you back to the show this week. And guys, I'll be honest, I didn't think the show was going to get off the ground this week. I was sitting down here in the studio just getting everything going, getting my notes ready to go and getting the equipment all going. All of a sudden, all the lights on my mixer lit up and uh, I got a lot of feedback through the headset. It was just uh, around my shoulders on my neck. Then some smoke started coming out of the back of it quickly just uh, shut the, uh, the the power bar off and uh, unplugged everything uh, it didn't get like too smoking hot or something I have no idea what happened but fortunately the gear seems to be okay I'm okay not that <laughs> I was ever in any danger but certainly a bit of a strange going on here some ghosts in the machine or something and uh, I've been podcasting now since fall of 2013 now I guess so going on uh, six and a half years at least so, you know several hundred episodes that I've done uh, out of this uh, this studio here in my basement uh, both on uh, this show and my uh, my soccer show uh, from the back line and I've never seen anything like that I've had my fair amount of issues with software and guests not being where they're supposed to be whenever I've done an interview things like that you know you, you kind of occasionally things like that happen but I never expected to, to have that uh, little moment. But hey, it's to, we look like we're 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 good to go here. So let's uh, just get to right into it, and uh, let's not tempt fate. And anyways, today is Valentine's Day, the fourteenth of February, twenty twenty, and that means we are now twenty seven days away from FP one at the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. It is now officially less than a month away uh, from the start of the 2020 Formula One World Championship, and I certainly uh, can't wait for that uh, to get started. Anyways, uh, we do have a bit of uh, bad news uh, to start the show this week, and uh, this is, well, it comes as no surprise really, but uh, Formula One uh, confirmed earlier this week that the Chinese Grand Prix, which was scheduled for April 19th, is uh, going to be postponed uh, due to ongoing concerns about uh, the the coronavirus in China. I think that this is going to, to be a good idea. Obviously, you're going to get uh, hundreds of thousands of people set to descend on the Shanghai International Circuit over the course of the entire race weekend. And, uh, well, I mean, it really isn't letting up and uh, people's uh, health and safety is number one uh, concern. And uh, it's it's going to be, uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they're going to be able to uh, reschedule that. Uh, but uh, there is a four-week uh, break uh, between the Vietnamese uh, Grand Prix on April 5th and the Dutch Grand Prix on uh, May 3rd. So we're going to get... Uh, 
uh, well, it's, we're going to get an early break uh, this year, which is uh, unfortunate. Uh, but uh, this is uh, the, the first Grand Prix that has been uh, postponed uh, since uh, Bahrain in 2011. And uh, that was uh, cancelled due to uh, civil unrest. So uh, we will see whether or not uh, they can uh, reschedule that. Uh, Formula One has said uh, it's going to be uh, rather challenging. I mean, it's pushed to the limit as it is uh, this year. Uh, we're going to have uh, where we were scheduled to have uh, 22 races this year. But Chase Carey, the CEO of Formula One, had the following to say. It's challenging. We've started to wrestle with contingencies, but I think once you're into the year with the dates all locked, it's a pretty full schedule. We value our Chinese partners. They've been good partners. We've had good growth in China, so certainly we'd like to maintain that. The health and safety of people come first. There certainly would be challenges in fitting things into a schedule. Moving other dates when they've had these dates locked in has its complexities to it. We're dealing with it. We haven't really worked through all the possibilities, but I think there'll be challenges to dealing with it. So yeah, it it really is uh, going to be uh, difficult. Uh, I, I'd hate to see it uh, cancelled uh, outright, but you know, ultimately uh, Chase has it uh, right on uh, right on the money there when he says that the the, the health and safety of people uh, it always comes first. And um, that goes for fans, people uh, in Formula One themselves, people working at the circuit. You just have to look at uh, the the bigger picture. Anyways, uh, still sticking uh, on with this uh, same uh, thread for just a a moment more. McLaren have vowed to protect their staff as the the virus uh, focus now um, shifts to to Vietnam. Obviously, uh, just after the uh, the, uh, Chinese Grand Prix has been canceled, uh, the Vietnamese uh, Grand Prix, which is scheduled to go on uh, April 5th. And this is going to be the inaugural uh, Vietnamese Grand Prix in Hanoi. And uh, of course, geographically uh, speaking, uh, Vietnam well, borders on China and uh, geographically uh, Hanoi is not really all that far away from Wuhan, but it's far enough. It's a long, uh, long way. But uh, of course, it is uh, a lot closer. And again, you have to take all these things into uh, consideration. Uh, but uh, Zach Brown, uh, the CEO of uh, McLaren, uh, was saying at their uh, car launch earlier this week, quote, obviously the well-being of McLaren in the greater world is of the utmost most importance. Vietnam has not been raised yet as a potential issue, but obviously it's very nearby and neighboring, so we're going to monitor the situation. We definitely would not like to do anything that would put our people at risk. I don't think Formula One would as well, so I'd like to thank the rest of the world. We've just got to monitor the situation. So yeah, hopefully that uh, the Vietnamese doesn't uh, Grand Prix doesn't get cancelled. Be a real shame, but uh, again, have to look at uh, the the bigger picture. And it would be really strange to see it all uh, get uh, brushed off there because uh, as it is scheduled right now, uh, Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, later on. Uh, that might not be uh, completely free of some uh, turmoil, uh, turmoil on its own. Uh, but that's set to go from the 12th to 15th uh, of March. Bahrain uh, follows up uh, from the 19th to the 22nd of March. You know, so back to back. Vietnam is uh, the 2nd to the 5th of April. And then, well, China was supposed to be in the middle there from the 16th to the 19th of April. Uh, obviously, that's uh, off the calendar right now. Uh, whether or not that comes back later in the year remains to be seen. And then the Dutch Grand Prix kind of kicking off the year. Europeans uh, part of the, uh, the the season uh, a little bit uh, earlier than uh, than usual and uh, that is set to, to go from the 30th of April which is uh, fairly fitting because that's Koninginnedag or uh, the uh, Queen's Day in, uh, in, in Holland so uh, April 30th to the 3rd of May and then Spain, Monaco, Azerbaijan and well it's always a little bit weird the way that uh, you have the European uh, season and how Canada fits into that because you go Azerbaijan at Baku City at the beginning of June then over to Canada 
and uh, and the middle of June, and then back to France, Austria, Britain, and Hungary, and then that brings us to the summer break. So it is a very very full schedule, and whether or not uh, they can uh, slot that um, Chinese Grand Prix back in later in the year remains to be seen. And uh, well, certainly we hope that uh, that the uh, the coronavirus uh, is uh, that situation all gets uh, sorted out and uh, is over uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, you know the outbreak is uh, contained, but um, well, hopefully, uh, just from a sporting point of view, that uh, that uh, Vietnam is also not affected uh, in, or anywhere else in the world. Anyways, let's let's talk about uh, some uh, car launches now. That's uh, we're in that uh, time of year, and uh, we've had uh, several uh, launches uh, this year. Kicked off with uh, Ferrari earlier this year, but I'm just going to stick with the McLaren because we we're just talking about uh, Zach Brown, and I think that uh, that's a good place just to to, to pick up there, and uh, the MCL35. Nice looking car, and well, let, let's just put it this way: the, the the cars that have come out this week, we've seen the Renault, we've seen the Red Bull, we have Ferrari had their official launch. Uh, Renault had a launch without a car, which is a little bit bizarre, but hey, well, whatever works, I suppose. And McLaren, and as expected, uh, nothing too radical compared to uh, what we've seen last year. I mean, the the regulations are frozen for 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 twenty twenty, so obviously there, we're not going to see anything radically different. I mean, the cars very much look very similar to. To, to last year, Ferrari have gone for a completely different uh, philosophy, and we'll talk a, l- a little bit about that uh, in a moment. But uh, the, the McLaren, again, uh, they're right out there in front. Uh, they're they're ready to uh, to get going, ready to get testing. And uh, again, I think this is just a, a, another indication of this is a, a team that has uh, finally turned things around and is uh, finally going in some uh, good directions. And uh, like I say, it's a it's a nice uh, looking car. Anyways, uh, James Key, who's the uh, the technical uh, chief at uh, McLaren, had the following to say: "Quote: You have to have a target to work on because you kind of need to figure out where you need to be. One of those is to get to the front, but that's a huge step compared to where we are now." To do that in a year would be a very welcome but a massive step. There were certain targets based on what we learned last year where we found our weaknesses were that we were really wanted to address. And we could see some of those weaknesses were quite similar across the teams we were competing with. When you look at the bigger three teams, so we've been looking closely at these kinds of areas and we've made some progress there. I think that in the medium term target is to maintain our position, hopefully close the gap a bit and build on that. So if we can be in that place, I think we'll achieve the realistic target that we have. And I think that that's very much, uh, I think what I'm expecting to see from uh, McLaren this year is just to consolidate and build on uh, where they were last year. I think uh, last year was a, a very positive uh, year for them. And uh, again, like uh, he said, they are still quite a ways off uh, the, the big three teams of Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, but uh, so is everybody else. But I think that if uh, McLaren can consistently get their cars into Q3 in qualifying, if they can uh, continue to score points, not with just one car, but both cars over the course of uh, the, the, the weekend uh, on race day, I think that would be a, a great uh, move for or, or a great result for them because last year was finally a very positive uh, year for them. I mean, you could go back uh, several years now, back uh, to the uh, the three-year partnership that they had with Honda and just how painful that was. And then the first year with Renault Power was, uh, you saw a little bit of it, but last year 
was a real concrete move forward. And then this year, it is going to be a funny year because everybody is really looking towards next year. I mean, 2021, everything's just thrown out the window. It's all going to be completely new for everybody. So again, as we've talked about on this show several times over the past several weeks since the regulations have been finalized and set in stone for 2021, it's just when are some of the teams going to decide to uh, basically call it a day, if you want to call it that, uh, or name it that, uh, and and just start focusing more on uh, next year rather than really developing the, the, the car this year as maybe they would have done in, in previous years because uh, next year being so radically different that uh, they're, everybody's going to have to put a lot of work in to get those uh, cars to the track. But anyways, the MCL35 looks like a very, very nice car. Honestly, I haven't had a lot of chance to really look at the, the, the new cars too much uh, in, in detail this year, uh, sorry, this week, just another crazy, crazy week over here, but uh, good to see the McLarens uh, got theirs uh, out and all, all ready to go. Anyways, uh, Ross Braun, the uh, director of motorsport uh, at Formula One, had to say early, earlier this week that he feels that McLaren needed to uh, end their uh, partnership with Honda a couple of years ago to, to find out uh, their own faults. And well, like I was saying just now, that they had a three-year partnership, 2015 to 2017. It was just not good now, was it? And um, you know, when I heard several years ago, and I think uh, many of you uh, probably thought the same things, especially people of my generation grew up with uh, McLaren Honda way back in the day, Senna, Prost, and just how dominant that they were in the the, the, the 1980s and the early 1990s, uh, well, long before they switched to uh, Mercedes Powers, uh, powered cars with, uh, say, David Coulthard and uh, then uh, Mika Hakkinen, Kimi Raikkonen, you know, the, the late 1990s, early 2000s, uh, I mean, beautiful cars as well, but I mean, Going back earlier, you had the uh, the MP44, MP46. I mean, just some beautiful cars and just dominant uh, in, in in their day. So when uh, when, when I heard that they'd uh, reignited, uh, uh, agreed to renew that uh, that that partnership again, I I must admit I was really salivating at the thought of uh, seeing um, a McLaren and Honda get back together, and uh, and and maybe see a, a renaissance uh, or or see a modern version of that partnership that they had way back in. The day, unfortunately, it didn't uh, come out to, to, to pass. And after only a couple of years, uh, McLaren decided to get out at the, the the first opportunity that they had. And I think it cost them. I don't remember uh, what it was off the top of my head, but I, the, the number 100 million sticks in my head. And I don't know if that's dollars or pounds, but regardless, whatever it was, uh, the, the first opportunity they had to, to break that contract, uh, they did. I mean, it was difficult. And you, you can make the argument or, or make the comment or observation that, uh, that that maybe they jumped a little bit soon now that you you see that, uh, you know, the, what they've done with, uh, with Red Bull in just uh, one year. But that's maybe a little bit of a, a simplistic, way uh, to, to look at it. Um, Honda, uh, they did have that uh, one year where they, they really put a lot of development uh, into the uh, the engine in 2018. And that's when they, uh, there was that whole bizarre scenario with Carlos Sainz going uh, from, uh, you know, shifting around from moving from the Red Bull uh, setup and then going to Renault and uh, uh, Toro Rosso getting the Honda engines. And then Red Bull basically being able to evaluate Renault engines and Honda engines in each one of their teams. It was a kind of a strange uh, situation, but, um, you know, I, I agree with uh, what uh, Ross Braun had to say. And, uh, uh, well, let's let's just hear what he had to say. And it was, uh, quote, people say that they made a big mistake in getting rid of Honda, but I think, funnily enough, they almost needed it to uh, to do that to recognize what they needed to do with the team. 
They were blaming Honda all the time, and I think they would recognize now that wasn't true. That wasn't everything. And in getting rid of Honda and getting a benchmark, they recognized they had to do something with the team. I don't know how they would have come to that conclusion unless they put an engine in the back of the car that somebody else was racing and somebody else was doing well with. In doing that, they recognized then that they have some bigger problems other than just the engine. They had to make some changes. And I think that they've made some very sensible changes, end quote. And I, I think that uh, in those couple of sentences there that uh, Braun really nails it on the head because even in the times, uh, in, in that three years when they had the Honda Power, there was still like a little bit, uh, you could almost call it arrogance. I think uh, that that's a fair way to describe it when they, they had all the problems with Honda Power and uh, with the car. They, they kept saying, oh, you know, it's not the engine. We got one of the best uh, chassis in, uh, in, in Formula One. There's nothing wrong with the car. It's all down to the engine. It's, it's all down to Honda. It's their problem. And this was repeated. Uh, a number of times and uh, <clears throat> excuse me in a, a number of different ways but that was basically the uh, the, the, the way that it was uh, summed up and it's you know I think nobody really likes to ask themselves hard questions or, or look at themselves in in, in such a, a very frank and uh, an honest and, and critical way but uh, once they they did that and they uh, they they did get away from uh, Honda that first year with uh, with Renault I mean there was obviously an improvement uh, the the, the Renault may not uh, have been, say, as powerful as the Mercedes or the Ferrari power units, but it was a, definitely an improvement on what they had uh, with Honda in uh, 2018. It was more reliable, but it, it also exposed some of the problems that they had with the car. And now that uh, they, they couldn't sit there and blame all the problems that they that they were having on uh, the, the Honda engine, then I think that uh, all of a sudden, well, oh, okay, well, things aren't quite what we expected, but, you know, it can't be us or, or can it? And obviously they asked themselves those uh, more difficult uh, questions but that's why I really have a lot of respect for the job that uh, Zach Brown has done I mean he's come in he seems to me to be a, a very matter of fact very sensible very down to earth and, and focused kind of guy and uh, rather than trying to do everything else or doing everything himself he's appointed key people in uh, key positions like getting uh, Jill DeFerrin in uh, ex uh, racing driver to be their sporting director whatever his uh, official title is James Key who came in as the the, the technical director from uh, Tara Russo uh, and then you have Andrea Seidel, the team principal, who's uh, used to be the uh, the the, uh, the the head of the uh, the Porsche LMP1 project. They parted ways with uh, Patrick Boulier a couple. Of, so I mean, he made some difficult choices, and he he just brought in some right people. And I think that uh, ultimately, I think that's a sign of a good leader, making the hard calls, and then uh, and and doing the things that ultimately improve your organization, and bringing in and and delegating these responsibilities rather than trying to do it uh, all yourself. And I mean, we we see him all the time during race weekends i mean sometimes he's on the broadcast you know talking to the you know the commentary crew on sky sports but you all see him walking around into the pits or on the pit wall i mean he's a very hands-on kind of guy but at the same time he's not trying to do it all himself and i think slowly but surely we've seen those uh, th- those decisions that uh, that he's made and those people that he's appointed it's it's like planting seeds in your garden you know that something's going to grow but you can't go in and interfere and poke your finger in there overwater it or over fertilize it or whatever it is. I'm just kind of making guesses here. I'm not really uh, (laughs) the greatest gardener, but you get my point, right? Is that you just at some point you have to back off. You have to let, you have to trust those people. If you trusted them enough or believed in them enough to uh, bring them into your organization in the first place, you have to step back and let them do what they need to do. And uh, I think that's why we saw a fairly uh, substantial uh, gain in in what they did, uh, a fairly uh, big step forward from the 2018 to 2019 with uh, McLaren. But having 
said that, uh, and this was echoed in uh, what James Key was just saying, and also I think uh, maybe um, uh, Ross Braun as well, in, uh, in, in, is just that even though that they have improved, there still is quite a ways to go before they can catch up to the top three. And uh, whether they can do that this year, well, that's a $64,000 question, but uh, certainly it'll be a, a fascinating situation to watch and see how much uh, ground that they can make up uh, this year. Anyways, time for a very quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this break, and we're going to shift our focus onto Ferrari and the brand new SF1000. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. And we're going to talk about Ferrari for the next uh, little while. The SF1000s, yes, that's the their contender for this year. It uh, was shown the light of day in a fairly glitzy and glamorous and very Ferrari-type uh, launch earlier this year. And, uh, well, the, last year we went from the, what was it, the SF90. Now we're going, we're making quite a big jump here to the SF. <laughs> F one thousand, but it's all, it's all in good, uh, good uh, faith, good, uh, well intentioned, maybe. But uh, anyways, it uh, it is named in honor of uh, Ferrari being set to participate in its one thousandth race in the World Championship this year. So that is an amazing accomplishment. So it uh, <laughs> is something. I mean, wow! I'm just gonna, as I'm talking here, that's uh, starting to sink in as uh, as I, I look at my notes. But yeah, a thousand uh, a thousand races in the World Championship. That is an amazing uh, accomplishment. And you think that all the things that they've done in Formula One uh, over the years. Uh, I, I mean, it's been a very long time since they won a World Championship, but still, it uh, to be around that long and all the uh, the 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 pantheon of uh, drivers i mean uh, uh, iconic drivers that have driven for that team and some of the uh uh beautiful and uh, incredible racing cars that they've designed and built over the year really is uh, an accomplishment that is 
second to none, really. It really is uh, uh, fantastic. Anyways, um, it, it's a nice looking car. It's a, again, much like the McLaren, the uh, the MCL 35 was uh, very similar looking to the uh, the MCL 34 of last year. Same very much with, with the Ferrari from uh, last year and this year. Again, haven't really had a chance to really sit down and, and look into it uh, too, uh, too much in depth. But again, they're going with this uh, you know similar sort of matte red scarlet uh, paint job and it looks uh really really nice uh, i mean uh the the livery itself is um basically unchanged but uh anyways uh ferrari chief executive uh, louis camilleri had to say quote it is clearly going to be an interesting year tough competition a long season but also an important season because in parallel we have to create and develop a completely new car in line with the regulations that will govern f1 in 2021 and beyond so the team is going to be very very busy i have every confidence in our women and men their creativity their discipline and determination and above all the work ethic they have had before, which is the hallmark of this company, one instilled upon us by our founder, Enzo Ferrari. Mattia Bonato and his team are doing a great job, and we look forward to success going forward. So they were the first uh, team to really show off their, their car in uh, in real life. And uh, Haas, which is one of, obviously one of their customer teams, they did uh, release uh, some of their uh, some pictures of the, the VF20 uh, last week. And, uh, well, Mercedes, they kind of teased us a little bit. Uh, they uh, well, well, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Mercedes a little bit later on. And uh, that's why it's been a bit of a funny uh, launch season so far. Uh, Mercedes, uh, they did um, show off their, their uh, new uh, livery on the, for the 2020 season. Season, but uh, using uh, last year's uh, car, but whatever it is, what it is. Anyways, uh, you know, it it is exciting to see, but uh, the, the Ferrari, they've uh, gone in a completely uh, different uh, direction. They've uh, decided to go for what they're calling ext- an extreme design uh, for this year aimed at uh, maximum downforce, which is a uh, completely different uh, from, from last year. Anyways, uh, Mattia Bonato had to say, quote, certainly the regulations remain stable, so it is difficult to transform completely the car. The starting point is last year's car, the SF90, but certainly we're all extreme on concepts as much as we could uh, go. We try to go for maximum error performance and try to maximize downforce level. So the entire car, the monocoque, the power unit layout, the gearbox has really been packaged to have a narrower, slim body shape. I think that's quite visible. Uh, we all work on the components. The suspension has been designed to have greater flexibility when being on the racetrack so we can adapt the setup to whatever suits the drivers and the circuit. We put down a lot of effort to keep the weight down. We worked a lot on the power unit, not only for the packaging, but we work on each single component to cope as well with the changing technical regulations where oil consumption will be reduced by 50%. It may look very similar to last year, but believe me, it is a completely different to last year. A lot of concepts are very extreme on the car. <clears throat> and uh, Sebastian Vettel, one of the drivers for the team, uh, obviously, uh, he called the new car, the SF1000, uh, an incredible achievement. So Seb, uh, very high on it. He had to, to say the following, quote, We had the opportunity to obviously see it a little bit uh, before and to have also a direct comparison with last year's car. And you can really spot the differences, especially when it comes to the packaging. In the back of the car, everything sits a lot tighter, so there's a lot of work uh, behind that because that's not so easy. So we found some clever solutions to be able to achieve it. I can't wait to drive it because obviously that's uh, more exciting than just uh, looking at it. And of course, uh, winter testing uh, gets underway in Barcelona next week. So really... uh, 
we're almost uh, right there. It uh, really is uh, exciting to see. Anyways, uh, one of the other uh, uh, things that have come out about the uh, the SF one thousand is that the Ferrari has ruled out uh, switching to a Mercedes style uh, front uh, wing, and um, this is um, despite the uh, desire and uh, what they've already put into practice to add more downforce uh, to the car the, this year. And uh, well, last year, I mean that that was the big thing. They went for this uh, low uh, downforce uh, model on the car, and uh, even though the car was blindly fast on uh, on the straightaways, uh, we saw that at Spa. We saw that at Monza, uh, you know, all these um, oil burning allegations and things like that, uh, notwithstanding. I mean, in a straight line, the car really was uh, that much faster. But get to, to some of the, uh, you know, more tighter technical uh, tracks that uh, require more downforce, and they they, they really uh, struggled. They were able to figure out here and there, but uh, most part, I mean, they were, they, they, they really got the concept uh, wrong. Anyways, uh, Mattia Bonato had the, the the following to say about uh, the wing, quote, this one maybe is not the final one, uh, but certainly is our baseline for the start and we will bring it to, to winter testing. We will not change our concept. It will remain like that even on whatever we may test later on. I think it is the right concept uh, for us. I think we improved a lot of the, the, the downforce, not only through the, the wing, but if you look at the car itself, turning vanes especially. I think uh, quite a lot of high complexity, I would say. The entire car, the slimmer car, makes uh, as well the back of the car and the diffuser work better. So finally, I think overall downforce has certainly increased. So really a, a big, big uh, change in philosophy for, for Ferrari this year. And uh, well, honestly, I'm intrigued to see whether or not they uh, they can make this work. And uh, I think this is a, a real season where they need to they need to turn it around sooner rather than later. I mean, last year was a very, very disappointing uh, season for, for Ferrari. Uh, I mean, th- there were some a number of things to 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 be I, I guess positive about. Obviously, Charles Leclerc uh, was a, a revelation. I mean, we I, I think there were. Uh questions, no doubt, when he moved up from Sauber Alfa Romeo after 2018. I mean, why wouldn't there be? I mean, you got this young fellow going to the most famous racing team in the entire world, not just Formula One. And uh, despite the uh, the success that this guy has had uh, in, in other uh, levels of motorsport and in a very impressive rookie campaign with uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo a couple of years ago, uh, I mean, being young, I mean, that was a fairly small resume. I mean, let's uh, let's be honest about it. But uh, I mean, Charles came up to, to Ferrari and uh, he, he was impressive right off of the, the, the very bat. I mean, if you go back uh, to uh, the opening uh, race of the year in, uh, in Australia, I mean, I know that he finished fifth, but I mean, uh, team orders had a lot to do with that. And he had to hold behind Sebastian Vettel. So, I mean, th- that that was limited in what he could do. But I mean, go to Bahrain. I mean, he was he was fast in Bahrain. He should have won that race right if it wasn't uh you know for 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 the car letting him down right uh, towards the end and uh, by gosh he was sure was lucky that uh, those two uh, Renault cars had uh, a simultaneous uh, (laughs) well that was still weird uh, how they both simultaneously uh uh, retired right at the end of the race but uh, that really did help uh, Charles uh, keep a podium at least and uh, I mean he was impressive um basically all year long I mean there there were some moments too that uh, that were disappointing obviously uh in Monaco he didn't uh get to, to, to race and compete in that, but that was more down to the car rather 
than uh, than, than him. Uh, Baku, that was a disappointment uh, when he just um, he crashed into the wall just by that really tight uh, entry into the corner that she came that goes around uh, the the castle there. So that was disappointing. But uh, all in all, I mean, uh, Charles C. He just got better as the year went on, and when he won in Monza, I mean, gosh, like was that not one of those? I think milestone moments that uh, I, I mean we all knew he was good, but when uh, when he won that race and he held off uh, the the, uh, the the Mercedes for, for so long, it was like yeah, this guy's legit. Yeah, <laughs> we all knew that this guy has got some, some talent, but to do what he did and to win that race in the way that he did, I think that uh, he that made uh, made Charles Leclerc uh, a rock star in the eyes uh, of many people. But anyways, uh, let, let's move along uh, now, and uh, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, th- this is something that we talked about. A couple of weeks ago, when uh, when we did the, uh, the the big group podcast here with um, Mark and uh, and Gil of uh, Flash F One and uh, Tim Haraney of TSN Sports, and uh, uh, Tim had some interesting insight on this, uh, and that where I'm going to now bring out exactly what that is, and this is a, a, a build on that uh, conversation that. Uh, Vettel is still apparently the first choice for Ferrari over even Lewis Hamilton uh, for, for 2021. And Tim said at the time that uh, based on some of the conversations that uh, he's had uh, in, in Formula One, uh, some of the insiders that uh, he regularly speaks to, that um, that Ferrari still think uh, very highly of Sebastian Vettel and they would like to keep him for, for, for 2021. And so that is, it's interesting, right? And I mean, I've I've talked about it. I know over the past uh, couple of months and speculated on what might happen to Sebastian Vettel, whether or not uh, he may stay or not stay with Ferrari after this year, after his contract is up. And I've kind of tended to lean more to the the, the side that maybe he won't stay with Ferrari for 2021. But I'm really starting to go that other way now and think that uh, that, that maybe he will. And I mean, he's he's obviously had a very difficult uh, you know year and a half, right? Uh, I would say since the second half of the 2018 season, 2019 wasn't as bad as uh, as the end of that uh, that 2018 campaign, but there were relatively few moments to really write home about. Uh, I and he was extremely frustrated the way that uh, things went for him at the Canadian Grand Prix with that uh, that that five second time penalty he was given for that. Uh, uh, you know, what did they? They call it now a legal entry into the uh, track or dangerous re-entry when uh, when he went off in that chicane in turn three and then came back uh, right in front of uh, Lewis Hamilton. But you know it is what it is. I mean uh, that uh, controversy we talked about uh, at length at the time, but. I, th- I think the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, even though that uh, Seb has had his issues over the uh, the past year and a half, is that he's still relatively young. I mean, he's still only in his early 30s. I mean, he's younger than Lewis Hamilton. And uh, if Lewis has a, a bunch of years to go yet, I mean, you got to think that Seb's still got a lot left in the tank as well. And and I, I certainly think the, the, that he does. I don't think you go from being a, a quadruple world champion to being completely washed up and uh, completely have lost the plot. I think that last year's car was really really difficult uh, to drive and I don't think it really suited his uh, his style at uh, at all I mean just go and look at the incident that he had at Monza the way that he uh, went off I, I think that uh, in in 2018 maybe the pressure did get to him uh, a couple of times there I mean when, when you look at some of the preventable 
uh, clashes that uh, and, and collisions that he had with the other drivers. That would that was more, I think, uh, on him rather than obviously than the, the than the car. I mean, think about how he came together with Lewis on the ter- first uh, lap of uh, the Italian Grand Prix. Think about the uh, the multiple clashes he had with Max. That's that's on the driver, right? Uh, but but last year, I mean, I know that he had his uh, his incidents as well. But when you go back to to Montreal, I mean, that I think that's a guy that was obviously really pushing it because I mean that was a race that was just between uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton that day. I mean, uh, Charles Leclerc was uh, what about fifteen seconds uh, behind Lewis at uh, at that point. I mean, he was there. I mean, he was good enough for a podium, but he was never going to push uh, Hamilton or or uh, Vettel for the lead in that race, uh, no matter what happened. Uh, but. It, um, yeah, I, I mean, when, when you look at that incident, uh, with Sebastian, when he went off the track in, in Montreal, I mean, you go into that little chicane, that little flick to the right, and then they flick back to the left again. It's just that the, when under braking, and, and obviously he's pushing it, he's braking as late as he can, that, that the car just, you know, it, it, it wobbled on him, and, uh, he just, uh, wasn't able to, to, to keep it on the track, and, uh, he had to, had to go off onto the grass. It was just, uh, what he was left, uh, that's the only option he was left with, right? And, and uh, th- that's what's unfortunate, but uh, that that was similar to the, uh, the little spin and uh, incident he had in Bahrain. And then when you think about uh, what happened to Monza as well, it just uh, it looked like at times that the, the car just was uh, too nervous in the hands of uh, Sebastian Vettel. So I certainly hope that the the SF1000 works better for him and for, for, for Charles Leclerc because it, it was... I mean, we we can go and have this uh, debate again uh, ad nauseum, really, just uh, about uh, Mercedes uh, last year. I mean, they, they got off to an extremely quick start, and uh, you know <laughs> that's really what won the uh, the, the championship for them, uh, for for Lewis Hamilton, uh, Mercedes that is. But uh, Ferrari and uh, and Red Bull, it just took them too long to really get their act together and get their cars figured out and uh, and really get them working uh, properly. And by by the time they were able to uh, really challenge uh, for for races and be more competitive when com- uh, compared to Mercedes, it was too little, too late. I mean, the, the the first time we saw somebody else other than Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas win a race was uh, Max Verstappen winning in, in Austria. I mean, we're already in into summer, in the beginning of summer, and well, I mean, that's uh, what was it, eight or nine races that they won, uh, you know, in a row before Max won that race. So there's a lot of points that were put into the pockets of uh, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, and uh, Mercedes on the constructor side, and uh, by by that point, nobody was going to catch them. I, I mean, let, let let's be realistic about it. I mean, uh, they they were just too far up the road, too far ahead. That uh, unless there was going to be some sort of uh, unparalleled, unprecedented uh, meltdown of uh, of form and reliability. That nobody, nobody from Ferrari or, or or Red Bull were going to uh, were going to catch up uh, to Mercedes at that point. It was uh, very much uh, that uh, that uh, the other teams were probably going to win some races here and there, which they did. And uh, it was basically uh, Mercedes just kind of had to keep doing what they were doing, and the the, the points would eventually come. And uh, it was just a foregone conclusion that they were going to win the championship, which they obviously did. Anyways, uh, it, it is uh, just going back to uh, Hamilton and uh, and and uh, Sebastian Vettel and just that whole situation at, at Ferrari. I mean, it is a fascinating situation. It is interesting to think about and and, and to speculate and comment on because you have these stories about uh, Lewis has uh, been meeting with them uh, before Christmas and uh, and and you know you start to think about it just uh, like all the records and the, the the fact that he can tie Schumacher this year or you know he he could uh, and if he does so then you know then it just makes uh, that 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 whole sort of almost dream scenario, really, that uh, he could go and and break uh, Schumacher's uh, records uh, and and do so for uh, for Ferrari, but. 
I really keep uh, going back, and this is one comment that's uh, really sort of stuck in my mind from uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, this is prior to the announcement of Charles Leclerc uh, signing an extension or a new contract with Ferrari and also with uh, Max re-upping uh, until 2023 with Red Bull and all that. And, uh, and, and well, obviously, Christian Horner is a, a bit of an inside track on this uh, sort of thing. Uh, obviously, he knew at that point uh, what was going on uh, between uh, Red Bull himself and, uh, and Max Verstappen, so he must have known that he expected that uh, that Max would resign at that point. But uh, I, I, I do just uh, think of his comments uh, that uh, he feels that by the by the time it was all sorted out, that uh, it would remain the status quo with the top three teams uh, for 2021. So Hamilton and uh, and Bottas at uh, Mercedes, Albon and uh, Verstappen at uh, Red Bull and uh, Vettel and Leclerc at uh, at Ferrari. And I mean. Uh, now that we've seen uh, Leclerc and uh, and Verstappen jump uh, into the, uh, the the contract and the uh, the, uh, the uh, silly season and get that uh, over and done with uh, long in advance uh, of anyone else, uh, really, I think uh, throws uh, some weight to uh, Horner's uh, prediction that uh, that uh, those uh, six guys are going to stay in those uh, seats uh, for for twenty twenty one. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, when you think about, it, I mean, uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, it just it seems now that uh, that there's speculation uh, coming out, uh, you know, and, and Bonato uh, saying, uh, and well, actually, let's uh, let's uh, hear what Bonato had to say. Quote. Uh, I want to reply on that a different way. I think Seb is our first choice at the moment, and that's obviously it's something we are discussing with him and we're continuing to, to discuss, but he's certainly our first option, our preference at the moment. Um, so uh, that is interesting uh, because he did go on to say that uh, that uh, Hamilton was something that Ferrari has, quote, not considering at the moment. Uh, so th- that is, I mean, that is, I think, uh, quite telling. Uh, you know, who, who knows what these uh, conversations uh, that he had. And if you're Hamilton, I think that uh, as as a racing driver and also as a, as a businessman, I think you have to explore all the options uh, that you have uh, available uh, to you. And um, who knows, maybe it was just uh, the, the opportunity to get together and just talk and sit down and maybe uh, just to sort of a, an icebreaker more than, than than anything else but i the, the the more that i think about it even though that uh, you do kind of have this sort of uh, almost fairy tale scenario of uh, hamilton going to ferrari and breaking all the records there I just can't see the guy leaving uh, Mercedes uh, at this point in his uh, career. I mean, he just uh, he just uh, seems so integrated, so part of the team there, and just uh, the, the the focal point uh, of uh, of everything. I mean, that combination of Total Wolf as the as the team principal, Lewis Hamilton as the number one driver, and all the engineers and the uh, all all the people in the factory and the pits. I mean. It just uh, it, it's worked so good for so many years. Why would uh, why would you change anything of that? I mean, ultimately, I mean, only Lewis knows uh, what he wants. But I, I just would find it uh, really, really uh, difficult uh, to, to see that situation come to uh, unfold and see Lewis move on to uh, to Ferrari. I, I just I just feel that uh, that that he's going to stay with uh, Mercedes to for the rest of his career. I mean, the the one that I do find interesting is though, and uh, I'm, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Danny Ricardo and uh, just as where we're coming into a break here but i'm still not convinced that uh that uh that valtteri bottas might stay with uh with uh mercedes for 2021 so that's why we'll really have to keep an eye on him this year i mean he he's had some good seasons with them i mean last year was a good year for him i mean he's good for a couple of wins here and there well 2018 maybe a, a little bit different uh that was not uh you know his best season it was disappointing and frustrating for him obviously uh for, for that year but i mean he was good this year i mean he is almost like i say the the 
ideal teammate to, to Hamilton because, I mean, he's not really been in the position to really push him or fight for for race wins here and there. And uh, I don't think that uh, Valtteri is the kind of guy to get into a situation uh, that we saw between uh, Nico Rosberg and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton. I think that uh, Valtteri... I'd, I, I just don't gather that that impression for him. So we'll have to keep our eye on that and uh, see how the r- results uh, go for him. I think that if he struggles, then of course, obviously that, that's going to, or obviously that's going to put more pressure on him and make the, uh, the, the scenario that he returns in 2021 less likely. But uh, I think that uh, on, on the flip side of that, if he has a, a season in 2019, similar to what he had last year in, uh, sorry, in 2020, uh, that's similar to the year that he had last year in 2019, then that just uh, strengthens his case to come back. Uh, to uh, Mercedes again in uh, 2021. Anyways, uh, time for one more break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, well, welcome back to the show. Uh, Let's uh, talk a little bit uh, now about uh, Honda and uh, Red Bull. Uh, This was an interesting uh, one here, and uh, this is one I found on uh, uh, motorsport.com, and uh, it's titled The Dramatic Shift Honda Needs for F1 2020. And uh, this is uh, an article that was uh, written by uh, Adam Cooper, and uh, he's just talking a little bit uh, about uh, the the, the potential uh, and uh, that uh, we saw with uh, with Honda, with Toro Rosa, also in, in 2018, and the, the the big turnaround that we've seen in Honda's form since uh, the the early days of uh, their their program with the McLaren in in 2015, and that's why you know I still always feel like Honda is the newcomer to the to the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, but they were only a year behind. I mean, 2014 we just had uh, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari, and Renault, and then um, uh, but but the thing was Honda they really got in on the the, the development on the R&D side of these uh, V6 turbo hybrid engines much later than everyone else because by the time we got to 2014 everybody else had been working on these uh, these power units for for a good number of years and uh, so they were all at 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 a similar level but um, Honda really uh, fast tracked everything like that and uh, obviously we we saw the results of a lot of that um, program that was rushed into being to a certain uh, extent and uh, as I said earlier off the top of the show it really was was uh it was tough uh, to, to watch um anyway so just uh, going back to this uh, article by by adam cooper he feels that in 2020 um uh, honda will have to what he says uh raise their game a notch uh they they did make a uh, big uh, big gains in 2019 uh but uh you know that both in terms of uh performance and reliability but uh according to adam cooper he still feels that uh, that reliability is uh, the area where there's some questions 
questions uh, still might uh, uh, be lingering for for Honda, and uh, certainly I, I do agree with that. I think that uh, that they certainly have come a, a long way in a relatively uh, short amount of time in the last uh, twenty four months uh, compared to the the, the previous uh, three years with uh, M- M- McLaren. But I think that was uh, bound to happen sooner sooner or later. The more miles that, uh, that that they got on these engines, the more years and time that they had in Formula One. I mean, Honda's just uh, too good. I mean, they're 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 too much of a well established uh, car manufacturer. They have a long history in in racing. They have a long history in Formula One, and um, th- that's why I, that, when they they had all those uh, troubles uh, with the McLaren, that that's what I was always wondering is that they, they will get it right at some point. It was always uh, the the question of uh, how long uh, will uh, McLaren want to stick it out, and uh, well, are they going to get it right with them, or are they going to get it right with somebody else? And ultimately, that uh, it, it 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 was the latter because uh, McLaren decided to pull the plug. They go to Honda. Sorry, Honda goes to uh, Toro Rosso uh, for the one year in between, uh, with uh, you know, the possibility to uh, to supply engines to Red Bull. And um, so far, I mean, it, it really looks like they made a good uh, good switch, right? And uh, if you think. Uh, and you go back and you look at uh, the results that uh, that Honda uh, had, uh, sorry, that Red Bull had in uh, in 2018. I mean, uh, the, all the time in the, this uh, V6 Turbo Hybrid era, they they were good for several podiums every year, maybe a win or two here or there, and that that that's the way it uh, more or less was. And then uh, you had uh, that uh, that evaluation year where they really looked at the the, the Renault uh, engines in the back of their own cars, the the uh, the Hondas and the Toro Rosa, really compare them and look at that data and make a an form choice and i have to admit i was maybe skeptical to or uh, uh maybe not skeptical but certainly i was really questioning whether or not uh, they made the, the the right decision obviously they have all the data but uh that's why i found it so fascinating and uh i think it was about the time of the uh, canadian grand prix in 2018 is when they made the uh, the the announcement that they, they were going to be switching to, to honda but uh, that that's why I was always wondering, well, then, you know, this is a, a very bold move, but uh, they've obviously something, uh, they've seen something that they liked in the data and the numbers that, that they were getting uh, out of the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the test data and the, and the races and qualifying, whatever they were doing from, uh, you know, with uh, Toro Russell. But uh, Honda, they, they made an equally bold, I mean, if, if Red Bull made a bold choice to switch to Honda for 2019, it was also an equally bold move from Honda to come out and say that uh, now that uh, we're going to Supply Red Bull for, uh, for with engines in uh, 2019 that we're going to uh, put them on a par and uh, same level that they were at with Renault. And uh, so they can achieve uh, similar results, which is basically what, what we had last year. If, if anything, I mean, they, they seemed like they, they were a little bit better, a little bit uh, further ahead. I mean, the results were more or less uh, the, 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 the same, but I just uh, had the impression that it just looked to me that uh, they, they were just a little bit ahead. So that's why it's going to be really interesting to, to, to watch and see that whether or not uh, Honda can continue on this uh, course of development, whether they can still find uh, you know gains in performance, whether they, they can knock off and uh, defeat any questions about uh, reliability in their engines, and then uh, really uh, you know combine that with uh, with uh, with Red Bull and see whether or not the RB16, their new car for this year, can really uh, step up uh, to the challenge. And then uh, you know Red Bull have come out and say that they've had to change their philosophy, the way of uh, doing things, so they can be more competitive. Right 
right off uh, the the bat rather than uh, you know sort of working up into it over the course of the uh, the opening phases of the season and uh, which obviously that's where you lose a lot of points that we you know we were talking about just now uh, before the break and uh, that, that's why it is going to be very very interesting to see how they uh, they, they keep uh, moving forward uh, this year as a, as a, as a team as a as a partnership in Red Bull and uh, and Honda anyways uh, Honda themselves say that they are quite happy with the uh, the, the progress that they've made uh, on their engines uh, over the, the the year and uh, when uh, they were uh, asked by uh, motorsports.com uh, Christian Horner had to say uh, quote they look uh, quite happy the engine made constant progress throughout the last year the latest engine is the next step in that uh, evolution they've done plenty of mileage on their dynos we've obviously been working very closely with them and the integration of the engine into the chassis they share that motivation desire of competitiveness and to really build on the three wins that they achieved last year and all the stuff that came with it they're very very focused on making that next step the turnaround that they've achieved has been phenomenal when you consider where they were five years ago and where they are now that's hugely impressive and i think that last year was an absolutely crucial year for them to get uh, some results i mean that's why i was saying just now that i think that was a bold statement of them to say that they were going to uh, keep uh, red bull on the same uh level that they were in the in, in 2018 with uh, with Renault where they they did manage to win uh, the odd race here or there and I thought, wow, you know, they, they've really got to deliver now. And they did. And I think that was very important that they did win those uh, three races because the longer that it went uh, without uh, getting a car, uh, win a race uh, with Honda Power, I just had the feeling that uh, the, the longer that uh, that barren patch, that drought, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, continued, that uh, it would be more likely that these guys would at some point just say, you know what, it's uh, costing us a ton of money to be here. You know, we're not re- winning any races. Is it is it really worth our while to stay uh, in, in Formula One? And uh, I think that uh, even even uh, just one win last year was uh, was a big achievement for them. But uh, to win three after it was all said and done, I think uh, was uh, was uh, even better. So, um, it, like I say, I and I made this comment uh, before over the, uh, the 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 past year or so. But uh, there certainly seems to be a, a much better synergy, a much better working relationship between Red Bull and Honda than uh, it was uh, previously between Red. Red Bull and uh, and Renault, which you know seems kind of funny to say because I mean this is a partnership that won multiple world champions uh, championships uh, together uh, before this uh, turbo hybrid era, and uh, well I mean uh, Renault never really quite uh, got it right uh, coming into this uh, you know this new formula uh, you know back in 2014 and those you know the, the 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 gap between them just slowly grew over time and uh you know even going back as far as 2014 Horner was making comments just uh, about how he was uh, you know disappointed or frustrated in the lack of power that the that the Honda engines had and uh, certainly you know that just kind of grew over time to the point where you know they they was, became a little bit more pointed a little bit more critical each and every time and then uh, I think it was a surreal beatable uh, team principal at uh, Renault uh, basically at one point said you know he can say what he can say he wants to say you know we we tuned him out uh, long ago <laughs> anyways uh, certainly there there's nothing like that at the moment anyways uh, between Honda and Red Bull and uh, obviously when uh, when you're winning people are a lot happier anyways uh, time for one final break here on the show don't go away we'll be right back in just a moment 
All right, well, welcome back to Scuderia F1. We're going to slowly but surely start uh, cleaning it up and, uh, and shutting it down now. Um, as I was saying, uh, you know, we've had some uh, launches uh, this week. Uh, Mercedes uh, teased us a, a little bit uh, by releasing the new livery on their car using last year's uh, car. And uh, that was uh, partially uh, due to the fact that they've got a new sponsor in uh, Ineos. Uh, that's a five-year deal. Uh, other than that, the, the car, very similar to the uh, the, the designs and the, the livery that they've had on the car over the past uh, several years but this uh, Ineos uh, features a sort of a red and a sort of a transitioning into black kind of swoosh especially on the top of the airbox also uh, features on the uh, the inside of the front wings uh, on the end plates there so that a uh, little bit of extra red uh, you know don't really see a lot of red on the on the Mercedes cars you get a little bit in the because Tommy Hilfiger is a uh, is a is a sponsor so you got the red white and uh, navy blue logo just uh, on the uh, on the front nose of the car just uh, behind the where the front wing is and then uh, you have the single solitary red star uh, to honor uh, the recently uh, departed uh, Nikki Lauda but I mean overall it looks uh, really really nice so we look forward to, to seeing what it looks like on the uh, the the the, the dub, uh, sorry the W11 uh, which will uh, be uh, released uh, here very very soon but anyways uh, just sticking with the Mercedes now uh, Total Wolf uh, said that a report of uh, an imminent uh, departure from Formula One from uh, for Mercedes is what he calls, quote, nonsense. And he says that the focus of uh, Daimler, which is their parent company, is uh, remaining in Formula One for the long term. So this is a story that's uh, been going ar uh, around and sort of pops its head up every uh, week or two. And uh, it, it comes basically because uh, there is a, a new Concord uh, agreement uh, between everyone uh, else in Formula One and uh, all the teams and, uh, and Formula One itself. Uh, but uh, Mercedes hasn't, uh, hasn't signed up yet. So... Uh, <laughs> That that's a big thing. So it leads to a, a lot of speculation. But I mean, look at the writing between the walls. I mean, if um, you know they they knew that uh, that they were going to be pulling out, why would they be signing uh, you know a, a five year sponsorship deal with a, a major uh, you know sponsor in uh, in Ineos, which is a chemical company, uh, by the way. Anyways, uh, Total Wolf had the the following to say: "Quote like always, we are in this for the long term. F one provides a great marketing platform for our brand. This is what we do." We build race cars and we build road cars. F1 is the halo platform for hybrid engineering. That is something that is not communicated enough because it was talked down at the beginning of the V6 hybrid era. And that is something we should really put more emphasis on. In respect with, with all the things that are out there in the media, we like the platform, but at the same time, we're in a negotiation with the rights holder and these things need to be sorted out. But the partnership is clearly something that indicates our wish to continue our successful journey in F1. Yeah, I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's, that says it uh, for itself. Uh, you know, he, I think he's pre pretty plain and uh, pretty to the point, uh, pretty much to the point that, you know, they're, they're, there's still some things that, uh, that, that that they need to sort out, some things that they don't like. There's still ongoing uh, discussions, but they want to be there. You know, the, that they've uh, signed another major sponsor is an indication of that. And, uh, well, watch this space. I, I would be very, very shocked if they were were, were to walk away right now. I mean, I, I think that uh, just uh, based from a, a, a purely sporting point of view, I, I mean, it's a bunch of people people that love to go racing. I mean, it, it seems every time that they win a race, they seem genuinely uh, excited about that. So uh, I guess uh, we'll do, we'll just have to watch and wait and see what the, the news brings us. Anyways, apparently Renault and Mercedes have an agreement about what secrets Esteban Oca 
Bertrand can bring over to the French uh, team this year. Uh, of course, last year he was uh, the reserve driver at uh, Mercedes uh, before being announced as uh, a Renault driver uh, in the latter part of uh, 2019, taking the, uh, the seat vacated by uh, Nico Hulkenberg uh, alongside uh, Danny uh, Ricardo. Anyways, uh, Total Wolf had to uh, say that, uh, <laughs> I like this one, he says that uh, Ocon is a, a cousin of the Mercedes family today. Anyways, uh, he had to say that uh, that uh, Ocon uh, does obviously, I mean, uh, he, he learned a lot of stuff at uh, Mercedes and uh, he said uh, that uh, uh, that he's mindful unlike uh, some of the technical staff. Drivers do not uh, get, uh, you know, put on gardening leave when they leave teams. I mean, obviously there's non-disclosure things, you know, confidentiality things that, uh, you know, you can't really uh, you know, divulge to other teams. I mean, there's uh, trades uh, secrets. Anyways, Ocon had to say, quote, I come out of there a lot stronger than I was with a lot more knowledge on the technical side, but also the other aspects of the organization, the way they see things in different conditions, the way they behave in any situation. I had an eye on all of that, which is completely different, even if I was driving, you know, so definitely it has helped helped me. Of course, this year I was trying to give to some extent some of that. You have to be a professional always, not to give all the secrets uh, because the engineers, they have to be a year out before coming back to another team. It's not the case for a driver. But I still take things a lot. Within limits, I took stuff here, which both teams agreed. And yeah, so far it's been good. I was much involved in the development of this year's car. So now it's exciting times because you don't see it as much here, but it's uh, pretty different. Since a couple of years, the guys at the factory, they say, it's probably the biggest step since three or four years. And, you know, certainly I hope so. I mean, uh, just based on that uh, quote from Esteban O'Connor that uh, they uh, they really feel that uh, this year's uh, car, the RS20, is a real step forward. And they really have been a, a bit of a frustrating uh, team to watch because uh, they, they sort of uh, really did make some progress after they bought out Lotus, but they've really stagnated. And the, and the last year's car, the RS19, for me, was a real disappointment. Uh, they, they, they just really weren't uh, all that uh, com- uh, competitive. And I think that uh, this year will be a, a crucial year for them. I mean, this is another team where there's been some things coming out here or there that uh, maybe they're not going to stick around in Formula One for the long uh, long term. But I think it's uh, really more on uh, more on them. I mean, uh, they just haven't been able to uh, n- to get it right. So whether or not uh, they can get it right and uh, and have a com- more competitive car this year, that really remains to be seen. Because we've heard similar statements uh, from them uh, before every now and again that oh yeah, well we've made a lot more. Uh, uh, you know, uh, progress on the engine over the past X number of months than we have in the past Y number of years, for example. We, we've heard things like this before and then the results just uh, haven't really uh, come along. Uh, but anyways, uh, they, they also believe that uh, 2020 forum alone won't be enough uh, to keep uh, Danny Ricardo. Uh, you know, there for, for 2021. And, uh, they're, they're being really sort of cautious and, and closed about the, their, their, their chances uh, for this year, you know, aim, aiming for a top four. I mean, they had top four in 2018. Uh, this year, they, I mean, they were well behind, uh, McLaren and a lot of the other teams. I mean, they just, uh, they, they weren't on that uh, same level. Um, but, you know, that, that's why I still think it was a, it was a real risk and a, a real surprise that, uh, Danny Ricardo decided to, to, to go there. I mean, I still remember, uh, when he made that announcement that, uh, he'd be going there for for 2019 and uh you know that came out in the summer break the year before and i was i was sitting i was on vacation myself and i remember 
sitting out in the garden at the hotel we were staying at at the time. And I was just kind of flipping through my phone, going through my timeline and Twitter. And I saw that uh, little video that he posted to his Twitter account. And I was really surprised at the time, obviously. And uh, I, I was really wondering whether or not it would be a, a positive career move uh, for, for Danny Ricardo. I mean, you got to look at everything. uh I think you got to take it a little bit uh, in, in perspective. I mean, uh, it is, uh, he's only been there for a relatively short amount of time, but, you know, having said that, uh, professional athletes in any sport, uh, you know, when, once you get to the top, I mean, you, you sometimes think about these guys that have been around forever and ever and ever. And, uh, that, that really isn't the case. I mean, uh, the, you know, the average uh, pro, whatever the sport might be, they, they don't really have a very long shelf life, uh, there. And it, it really is the, the, the really small minority of, uh, of drivers or players and uh, you know men and women in, in any sport that really stick around for the for the long term so you know having one bad year is one thing but uh, R- Ricardo can't really uh, afford too many of them I mean obviously he's going to be like eyeing some of these uh, seats that may come up uh, elsewhere you know uh, Ferrari is obviously not set in stone for 2021 despite the noise uh, and things that they've uh, made about wanting to retain Sebastian Vettel um, obviously that second seat at, uh, at Mercedes is not uh, confirmed for 2021 either so if you're Danny Ricardo you're probably probably looking at one of those i mean i don't think yeah we'll, we'll ever see him back at red bull again i think that's uh, that that chapter is closed but you know I, I i still understand why he made the switch and uh, why he would go to Renault, where he would be more of a of a player if uh, if you will uh, rather than uh, you know sort of being in the um, in you know in the shadow of max verstappen if, if you want to call it that uh, because uh, wh- whether it was going to be you know uh, you know explicitly said or not that was always going to be uh, Max Verstappen's uh, team and uh, I, I think that uh, Danny felt by maybe going somewhere else that uh, that uh, he may have some opportunities uh, to be more of a number one driver I, I don't think that they ever really came out and said at Renault that uh, Renault or sorry uh, Ricardo or Hulkenberg was the number one guy but I think that uh, whether it was explicit or not at Red Bull I think it was pretty obvious that the focus was on uh, on uh, Max Verstappen who's uh, proved that uh, you know he's got all the uh, you know the the characteristics and traits to to be a Formula One world champion at one point. I mean, Ricardo's a very good uh, driver. I mean, well, we've seen him win a, a number of races over the course of his uh, career so far, and in, in, in a Red Bull that wasn't always the most competitive or quickest car on the track. So I mean, uh, you know, uh, props to him for uh, for what he's achieved so far. But I don't think he's um, a Max Verstappen. I mean, uh, it, it'd be cool again to see them race head to head. I mean, he was able to uh, you know achieve similar results and and similar things uh, to Max, but whether or not uh, Ricardo has what it takes to be uh, a a more... consistent race winner i think obviously has to do a lot about uh, the car and whether or not he's uh got it in him to be a world champion i think that's a big question that uh that uh, may or may not uh, be answered one of these days who knows we'll wait and see anyways uh, sticking uh now a little bit uh, with uh with renault uh they justified the decision to have a uh, no car at their launch uh because uh they didn't want to pre- present something which they called fake i guess we've heard about fake news what about uh, fake uh, cars anyways uh surreal beatable team uh, principal or, or managing uh, director at uh, Renault F1. Uh, he had to say, quote, if anything, we are much more in schedule than we were last year. You may remember that last year we invited you guys to come to Endstone and actually I mentioned how late we were and that was a fact. And probably it was also something that impacted the re- reliability of the start because when you are late, you are re- reacting. It is all about trying to catch a train that's gone away. Uh, so this year we are ahead of schedule. Uh, 
after last year, I read what you wrote, and I read what people say about what you write about the pictures we post, and I got extremely frustrated from people, you know, really reacting to the cars as they uh, as if they were the real thing. But actually, no one is capable of presenting a true car. If your team is on schedule, you don't have a car waiting here for a couple hours or days. Your car is built and going straight to Barcelona. That is an optimized schedule. So on that basis, our only option was to have a fake car, a show car, altered to look like this year's car. But that is a waste of money, and the results will frankly be below optimal. Uh, people always look at uh, interpret that based on that. So rather than that, no car for anyone interested in the car. Look at the pictures next week. So you know, whatever it is, what it is, and you know, honestly, I have no problem with that. Even like uh, Alfa Romeo and Williams going to do their car launches at Barcelona, you know, before they start testing uh, next week, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, it uh, it uh, probably isn't a, a very F1 thing to do. I mean, uh, Ferrari had a, a big fancy car launch, but I guess that's kind of the you know the Ferrari way. I mean, uh, when you think about it, I mean, let let your car do the talking on the track. Uh, let 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 the car do the talking on Sunday afternoon. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know the old old say. Well, I guess it's money talks and BS walks, but I guess the same thing uh, could be uh, said too. you know, results talk and uh, BS walks, you know, if you can't walk the walk, don't talk the talk. Um, so, you know, what's the point of having a, a big launch like that? I mean, I, I don't really, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but uh, for me, it's a, it's not a must. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if they're, they're just going to re- release pictures and just get on with the testing, I mean, they got to f- focus on, on priority uh, priorities. And I think that's uh, more important. Uh, you know, wh- why uh, go through all the expense and the hassle of having a big release on uh, basically what's just a dressed up, uh, you know, mock-up of a car anyways, when uh, you should be focusing time, energy, and resources on getting the car ready, getting it, uh, you know, getting it off to Barcelona, getting, uh, you know, focusing on what you're going to do on the track, because it's going to be the first time you're going to be able to shake the car down, uh, learn on whether or not the car performs uh, as uh, was expected when it was designed, get the feedback from the drivers, let the engineers do what they need to do, and, uh, that to me is much more uh, important than uh, some fancy car launch. Anyways, uh, just sticking with the RS20, uh, Renault has uh, decided to uh, steer clear of going for a total overhaul on their 2021, or sorry, 2020 car, despite uh, the disappointments that they had uh, last year. Uh, Surreal Abitabul had to say, quote, this year we decided to take a bit of a different approach. The regulations are stable, so it was offering a fantastic opportunity to keep some elements of the car that have no direct responsibility towards the performance of the car. It doesn't mean that it's still the same car. It would not look very attractive, but what we have decided to do is focus on performance areas, and by doing that, you also work towards 2021. If you can be focused on 2020, then you have some extra capacity available for 2021. That is the logic behind what we have done. Whether it works or not, let's see in Melbourne on the Saturday. End quote. So there you go. Uh, anyways, uh, just uh, talking now a couple uh, of uh, items about uh, just uh, some upcoming races uh, before we close it down here. Uh, the Melbourne uh, tram workers uh, might, well, it could be an issue. Let's put it that way. Uh, there is a, a potential tram strike that is uh, targeting the Australian Grand Prix in a couple of uh, ten weeks' time. And uh, there's a bitter pay dispute going on between Yarra Trams, uh, the rail, tram, and bus union. And then uh, more than 1,500 staff are set to go on strike uh, during the four days of the Australian Grand Prix. And they're, they're planning to halt their services uh, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on uh, Thursday and Friday, and between 12 and 4 on Saturday and Sunday, obviously 
obviously uh, key times uh, during the day for qualifying the race. And uh, apparently, I, I've never been there myself, but uh, apparently the, the trams are just uh, an important link uh, serving us in uh, the Albert Park uh, venue during the race weekend. And uh, they have special shuttle services uh, operating between uh, the Central Business District in Melbourne and the uh, the different uh, business uh, or the different uh, gates at uh, at the circus. Sorry, at the circuit, circus. Uh, it's getting late here. It's almost midnight. I apologize. Anyways, uh, let's hope uh, that that doesn't uh, come to pass, and uh, hopefully uh, that the, the uh, you know the, the the tram company and the the unions can come to uh, an agreement, because uh, obviously that's not a pleasant situation for the people involved, let alone the people that might be impacted, uh, not just at the Grand Prix, but uh, just life uh, in general. Uh, anyways, uh, Roman Grosjean said that he's excited by the extraordinary uh, plans for a Grand Prix and. Saudi Arabia. Uh, he calls uh, the, the the project huge and extraordinary, and uh, this is a, an all new circus uh, circuit circus. I said that twice now in the, <laughs> in the space of a minute. Anyways, the the, the brand new circuit is being designed by former uh, F1 driver Alexander Wurz, and uh, it could be on the calendar as early as 2023, as uh, F1 and the, uh, the the officials in Saudi Arabia discuss and negotiate and uh, and see if they can work something out. So Grosjean is the only active driver that's actually uh, been to the site uh, to take a look around. And uh, he was there last month uh, alongside uh, Nico Hulkenberg, Damon, uh, Damon Hill, and David Coulthard. And uh, Grosjean said, uh, quote, I hope that the project will go ahead and that it will progress as it should. Uh, the track that Alex has designed is great. He knows what we like and what we don't like. He's lucky to have this close relationship with us. He comes to us to ask us questions. I think that Alexander Wurz may have also been uh, the, uh, the the head of the uh, whatever there's the uh, racing drivers uh, committee or whatever it is uh, at one point. Uh, I, I always liked him. I thought he was a kind of a, well, I mean, he was a good character, maybe not the the, the flashiest F1 uh, career, but uh, kind of a, a cool project uh, to be involved in and in designing a, uh, a Formula One track. Anyways, uh, just sticking with uh, with tracks, uh, Ross Braun, uh, director of motorsport at Formula One, admits uh, he was worried uh, that uh, Zanfort uh, would not be a good uh, circuit uh, for Formula One uh, before they added uh, the, the banking at the track, and and Braun was really quite uh, skeptical about uh, whether or not uh, the, the the layout would be uh, good for for Formula One uh, racing. Anyways, uh, he said that the unique solution of having a banked final corner, which uh, almost turns into a straight, so it'll be really interesting to see uh, how that uh, turns out. Said that really. Uh, really took away a lot of the worry that he had for it. And he had to say, quote, I was worried about how we would make it a good race circuit until we had done that. But now we have a decent length of straight and going into the last corner. And then the first corner on the pit straight is going to be pretty exciting and a great crowd as well, I'm sure. So, yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) there are some other parallels that are uh, put there was, uh, you know, the 2005 uh, U.S. Grand Prix at Indianapolis. That's uh, when, uh, you know, I had Bridgestone and uh, Michigan and tires and um, well obviously Indianapolis being an oval has a lot of banked uh, corners on it and uh, the Michelin uh, uh, running uh, cars uh, withdrew with that because uh, there was a lot of concerns that the tires just wouldn't be able to handle the the, the strain that would be put on it as uh, you know they went around because you had like part of the uh, race was run on the oval itself and then uh, it would cut into the infield on uh, on, a, on a track through there and they would come back out into one of the corners back onto the on to the main straightaway again and there was a lot of concern just about the the, the stresses that were being put on the tires there and uh well it was just it was really embarrassing you know when all those michelin uh running cars 
pulled off of the tracks, went back into the pits after the, uh, you know, the warm up lap. And I think we had a U.S. Grand Prix with uh, like six cars or something like that. And people were standing there. And the, I, I remember clearly, you know, people standing there in the stands, you know, booing and, and showing this, uh, their displeasure. And, uh, you know, rightly so. I mean, it was absolutely uh, ridiculous. I think they wanted to, to put in some sort of uh, temporary chicane or something just to sort of sh- slow down the cars uh, and kind of like even it out. But uh, ultimately, they decided not to do that. The Michelin guys uh, decided, well, forget that. The risk is uh, too great. You know, we don't want to uh, put anybody into danger. And uh, therefore, we're not going to run in the race. Anyways, uh, I'm starting to run out of breath here. We've been sitting here for now over an hour, going an hour and 10 minutes, getting late here on uh, on, a, on a Thursday night into Friday morning. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you all for uh, very much for downloading and listening to the show. You know, more car launches coming next week. We got uh, winter testing coming. So it's going to be uh, going to be good to see some uh, results come in and see what happens once the cars uh, get on, on, on the track and uh, see some uh, times uh, and see just how some of these cars kind of stack up against each other. So we are now making the first little steps into the 2020 World Championship and the first uh, race, obviously, just uh, less than a month away. Can't wait for it to start. Anyways, if you want to get in touch, the uh, best way to do so is on Twitter at ScuderiaF1 or send me an email at uh, ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you guys this time next week. Bye for now. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com.